want to say again, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers. Be sure to call your moms if, uh, if you haven't done so yet. I'm telling myself that because I have not done so. But a uh, very special day for our moms and those who have sacrificed so much. And it's even going to come up, I think, in the third point in this sermon. Uh, some of those people who have left many things uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God uh, as our mothers. And uh, we're to be thankful for that in so many ways. But today um, we're going to turn to a story um, that is probably well known to a lot of us called The Rich Young Ruler, uh, commonly referred to as that. So we're going to turn over to Matthew 19. And if you guys need a Bible, we got some there on the back, the uh, blue ones. And so we're continuing on our series looking at the, the Gospel of Matthew. And we are going to look starting at verse 16. All right, so that's page uh, 696 in the, uh, not Pew Bibles, but Blue Bibles. Um, and so if you guys will stand with me, we're going to read that uh, before we dive into our message today. All right, so hear the word of the Lord. Verse 16. Now a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. And Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Thanks be to God for his timely and holy word. You guys can take a seat as we begin. Well, as we begin, I want to share with um, you guys, uh, just real quick, to kind of tee up our our look here at Matthew 19, uh, two stories of two very different men. Different life stages, um, different times in history, but they shared something in common. The first one... Uh, we might know his name, uh, Mr. Rockefeller. Uh, he was, I think, made tons and tons of money through it was either oil or, or trains. Uh, and one of those two, I can't remember. But it was a long time ago, uh, maybe like 100 or so years ago. And, and he made tons and tons and tons of money. And one day, a reporter came up to him and asked him a very important question, right? A simple question. 
And he said something like, how much is enough? How much is enough? Right? A simple question about his money. And very honestly, Mr. Rockefeller looks back at him and says, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. How honest can you be? Right? Another example, maybe a more modern one, um, very recent, uh, uh, in the, the big fight that just happened a few weeks ago, or I guess last week, um, Floyd Money Mayweather, right? I looked up an article on him, and um, you know, he, he had this fight, and uh, he made tons of money off of it, but uh, Floyd Mayweather is known for his love for money. And I went and saw an article, and it, was, it said, I think it was, Insane Things Floyd Mayweather Does With His Money. And I'll, I'll share with you just a few of them, and just by means of example. Um, apparently, when he goes out, he carries cash with him, lots of, lots of cash. On a light night, he carries around maybe 60000 in cash. On a heavy night, he takes a big uh, ice hockey bag and takes, apparently, a million dollars in cash with him to go out with his friends. Other things he does with his money, he, he, uh, he does things unnecessarily to show that he has money. For example, not only does he have a private jet for himself, but he has a private jet for his entourage that follows him everywhere in which he goes. On a fight night, for example, many times he buys up tons and tons of his own tickets to kind of promote the, the, the popularity of the fight and give these tickets out. Up to $600,000 of his own money at his own fight. Things go on and on. He has an iPod case that's worth like $50,000. It's laced with um, diamonds around it. But you know what? For both of these guys, money was very, very important. Money is really important for both of these guys. And not to say that making money is wrong, but for them, money was their God and is their God. It was something so important to them. It had a grip upon their soul, so much so that it drove their decisions their thought patterns, what they did in life and continue to do in life, money was their God. And you know what? I bet if Jesus came here in our day and had the same conversation with Mr. Rockefeller or Mr. Mayweather, it would look a lot like the conversation that happened with the rich young ruler in our text today. And so as we turn to Matthew 19... I think we're going to see that really perfection is the only way for us to inherit eternal life. But you know what? There's always going to be some roadblock in our way to getting to that perfection. Something blocking the way. Unless we turn to the perfect one, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to turn once again to this encounter that Jesus has with this young man. And then his disciples. And we're first going to look at the requirement for eternal life. The requirement for eternal life. So in this special encounter that Jesus has with this rich young man, the question comes up of how how one attains or gets eternal life. This man is asking, can I get eternal life by means of good deeds? And so right off the bat, I think we can make several assumptions about this man's question. How can I get eternal life by any good deeds? One is that he thinks eternal life is a good thing. Something that he generally wants. This man wants eternal life. He also assumes that good deeds are the way in which we get this eternal life. And also he assumes that some good deeds are better than others. As kind of if it scores more points with God. 
You know, maybe walking a lady, old lady across the street, that's more points than, you know, getting up and, and um, you know, brushing my teeth and doing my chores, that kind of thing. Some things are better than others. And you know what's interesting about these things? I bet if we were to go around our city and to ask people some of the same questions as far as how do they get eternal life or do you want eternal life, they'd probably say, yeah, you know what? I think I do. I want eternal life. I want to live forever. I want to be in heaven, whatever that is. And you ask them, well, how do you get there? And they'd probably say something like, well, you got to be a good person. You got to do good deeds. And, and you can maybe ask them, are, are some good deeds more important than other ones? Yeah, yeah, more. some are more important than other ones. And you, you just kind of see when you get to the end of the life, hopefully your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. So it's, even from the beginning, this text and the assumptions that that man is making are very relevant to us in our day, in our time, and in our own city. And maybe at one time we believe those as well. We believe, yeah, eternal life is good. I get, I get eternal life by the things that I do. Well, this question that Jesus, or sorry, that the man asks, it sparks a conversation that goes back and forth between Jesus and this man. And Jesus answers his question with another question, something uh, that Jesus often does. Verse 17 says this, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now that's an interesting way to respond, I thought. I would have thought that Jesus would have jumped straight into verse 18, uh, where he kind of names off all these different commandments, right? You know, number five, six, seven, all those commandments, and, and, and say, do these and you'll be fine. But he starts by asking and saying that there is only one who is good. It's like he starts by giving him a hint that this task that he is asking is impossible. But then he gives the answer anyways, which is the way to inherit eternal life. How do you do that? Simply to keep all the commandments. But the man, he's not really completely tracking with Jesus. And so he asked the question, which ones? Which ones do I have to keep, Jesus? And so right off the bat, we see that he is asking or looking for a loophole. He's saying, which ones do I have to keep? The bare minimum so that I can enter the kingdom of God, so that I can be saved. See, the problem here is not that this man is expanding the law by making more and more rules, kind of like the Pharisees did, but what he's doing is he's minimizing God's commands to prove that he has a self-righteous status before God, that he is worthy of eternal life. The Pharisees did that actually as well. So he's trying to minimize God's commandments and to say, which ones do I have to keep the bare minimum so that I can look good or I can get eternal life before God in the last day? And we see this clearly confirmed in the man's response. After Jesus names off some of these commandments, he says in verse 20, all these I have kept. It's kind of a bold statement. All these I have kept. But instead of calling his bluff, And telling the man that he's full of it, Jesus goes a different path. I mean, because Jesus could have easily said, all right, let's talk about number five. You said you didn't break number five. Let's talk about how you have done this even today, right? And all of us, none of us could say, I've kept them all. But Jesus goes a different way. He goes for a more subtle, a more powerful approach by going to the heart. He goes to the heart of this man. 
Because notice that as confident as this man is, he realizes that he is missing something. He realizes that he is lacking something. He's confident, but he realizes there might be something else. One commentator, he explains it this way. He has an exaggerated sense of his own piety that has led to self-sufficiency. Yet at the same time, he is unsure whether he has done enough and is hoping Jesus will be able to give him further insight. Now, I think about that quote. He is whether, he's wondering whether he has done enough. How many of our friends or how many of our family or how many people across this city are wondering today if they've done enough to inherit eternal life, to be in heaven? How many that are even in church this Sunday or maybe they were in a mosque on Friday, or they're maybe at home right now wondering, have I done enough? That unsurety that's eating away at their heart to say, have I done enough? Hoping that Jesus will give some further insight, which he does. He goes to the heart of the matter, and Jesus pierces through the armor of this man. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, Go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And notice what he says. If you would be perfect. Jesus is talking here about perfection. He is saying in one word, laying out the requirements for eternal life. Perfect, 100%, all the time, every day, perfection. Always obeying God's laws and God's commands. Everything that God has told us to do from Genesis to Revelation every day. Whether it's in our heart or in our heads or in our actions. Perfection to God's law. D.A. Carson, he's a commentator. He explains this word. He says, what the word perfection suggests here is what it commonly means in the Old Testament. Undivided loyalty and a full-hearted obedience obedience that is the requirement for eternal life and now i don't know if any of us are honest with ourselves right now if we could say yeah that's me 100 percent of the time every day in every way i have an undivided heart to god that may be something that we want and desire but can we say that we have that let me take, let me take a minute to explain something here i don't think what jesus is trying to do is say Hey, what, hey, buddy, you know what? You're doing great. You just got to try a little bit harder, and you are going to make it. Just keep trying. Just keep pulling up your bootstraps. Just keep following the law. Keep honoring your mom and honoring your dad, loving your neighbor, and you're almost there. You're going to get it. You're going to reach eternal life. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.16, because by works of the law, no one, No one will be justified. I think what he's doing here is he's using this exhortation to sell all that he has to show him that he is not perfect and to point him back to what he said earlier to say there is only one, only one who is perfect. It was meant to show his bankruptcy before God. Sometimes uh, theologians talk about this as a second use of the law, which means that God gives us his law and his rules to show us that we can't keep them and that we need Jesus. 
It drives us to the cross. It drives us to say, God, no matter how hard I try, I cannot keep your commandments. I need you, Jesus. That's what Jesus was doing here. He was not rejecting that perfection was the standard that had to be met for us to be saved. But at the same time, I don't think he was actually holding out to this guy to say, look, you can actually be perfect by yourself. Go and try. As actually attainable. Maybe a question for us as we consider our own lives, are we minimizing God's law, God's commands to make us seem more righteous than we actually are? Well, maybe you say, I'm not, as, I'm not as bad as the drug dealer on the corner. I'm not as bad as the pimp who is abusing this woman, selling her to others. Or I'm not as bad as this corrupt politician in my city. I'm not as bad as the woman who is sitting, getting her hair done, gossiping about all of her friends, being slanderous about the things that she's saying, or whatever it is. Maybe you're saying, I'm not as bad as, I'm not as bad as, making yourself look better. But when you and I do that, we miss the point, just like the rich young ruler. We are essentially saying, which ones, Jesus? Which ones are more important than the other ones? Because I want to say I'm not as bad as this other person over here. But we have to realize that there is only one who is perfect. That when it comes to perfection, we don't make the cut. It pushes us to Jesus because the requirement for eternal life is perfection. But you know what? He, Jesus just doesn't tell him this. He shows it to him. He shows him an example by talking about the roadblock in his life to eternal life. So let's look at that. The roadblocks to eternal life. I don't know about you guys, but I've been in traffic many times in my life. And I've I've sat there. I haven't been the most patient uh, person driving. But a lot of times you'll get on a highway and you'll realize that you're in standstill traffic, right? Nothing's moving. You can't see what's going on. And maybe there's an accident up ahead or a construction project going on. There's a roadblock that forces you to take a detour. You can't get from the one point where you are to the point maybe sometimes where you can even see the other side and where you want to go, you have to take a detour. There's something blocking your way. Well, this is a great example, a great illustration to what is going on in this man's heart and many times in our own. Verse 21 and 22 says this, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess. Give to the poor, right? We talked about that, following me. But what happened? When he heard, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He heard this, what Jesus said, and then he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Listen to this quote. It's a little bit longer, but it's a good one. Talking about the rich young man. He was willing to discipline himself, to observe all the outward stipulations, and even perform superiority works. I don't know what that is. But because of his wealth, he had a divided heart. His money was competing with God. And what Jesus everywhere demands as a condition for eternal life is absolute radical discipleship. This entails the surrender of self. And later on, he talks about the choice that the rich young ruler made. And he said, if a choice must be made between money and Jesus, money wins. If a choice must be made between money 
and Jesus. Money wins. See, what happened with this guy, the roadblock, was his money. He loved his stuff and his possessions more than he loved God and what God had to offer. He didn't want to let God in on this part of his life. See, the man was more than willing to do various good deeds. We, that's clear. He said, yeah, I'm trying to love my, my mom and my dad. I'm trying to love my neighbor as myself. But when it comes to my money, Jesus, you're asking too much. That is mine. The man wanted eternal life, for sure. But there was a roadblock. And that roadblock was the man's money. Jesus showed him that through this interaction, by that subtle, more powerful approach that we talked about earlier. Because instead of following this narrow road to the way of salvation, the way of eternal life, this man saw the roadblock and turned around and went the other way. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples, that it's hard, real hard, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. How hard? Well, he uses the the ridiculous illustration of an actual camel trying to get through an eye of a sewing needle. I mean, how ridiculous is that, right? But Jesus reminds him, it's hard, but it's not impossible. Because why? With God, all things are possible. Right. All things are possible. Even for a rich person to say, you know what? As good as these riches are in this life, ah, forget it. I want Jesus more. I want the things that he wants for my life more. You know what? There's hope for even for a person like Floyd Mayweather. For that person to say, you know what? More than my money, I want God. And I want the things of God. Same hope for Mr. Rockefeller. I don't know what happened in his life. The same hope for you and me. A question for us, maybe our money and possessions and toys, our roadblock to eternal life, Maybe we're struggling with that today. I don't know. Instead of coming to Jesus, the perfect one, we'd rather have our nice clothes or our nice shoes or the latest fashion or our overflowing bank accounts with healthy margins or a nice house. Whatever it is for you, it's blocking the way, a fun retirement, comfortable retirement. But you know, also, as I wrestled through this, because a lot of us, we don't live in the world of the, the Mayweathers and the Rockefellers. We live kind of in the everyday life trying to make ends meet. But you know what? Riches and possessions are a roadblock even for those who are not rich. And this is what I mean. I was thinking about this week. The envy and the jealousy of those, for example, with those. The envy and the jealousy in our own hearts for those that have those things even though we don't have them. Maybe the drive to get them. The quest to say, I'm going to do anything I can to get this wealth. Or maybe the trust in them to save you from your problems. It reminded me of a a song from a Christian uh, hip-hop artist that uh, I read to some of the kids during the High Rise program a few weeks ago. And I want to read to you guys just a few lines from this song. He's talking about um, the things that people are trusting in to get themselves out of their hard circumstances. Talking about one of those things. I heard him say that he's sick of being broke, but he ain't going to college and he ain't selling coke. So he spent a lot of time with a pen and a pad trying to make ends meet because he's fixing to be a dad. Want to get a record deal and sell a couple mil 
house on the hill, fall back and just chill. Now he's looking for that one shot homie's trying to blow. But little does he know that if that's the way he goes, that he could end up way worse than before. Because you can gain the whole world and still lose your soul. You can gain the whole world and still lose your soul. We need to hear Jesus' warning here to us. We need to help other people to understand this warning. That money can have such a powerful grip upon our souls, upon our lives, that it becomes the very roadblock for us getting eternal life. For us seeing Jesus for who he is and loving him and living for him. And it can be a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be money. You can fill in the blank with other things that get in the way that are roadblocks. And Jesus is telling us, please do not try to gain the whole world and lose your soul. Don't go after that dream. It's a pipe dream. Don't do it. So we've seen from Matthew 19 the requirement for eternal life, which is perfection. We've seen um, in, in this story with the rich young ruler, we've seen that one of the roadblocks, which is money to eternal life, But also we're going to look at something. It's kind of more the good news of the story. The guarantee of eternal life and its benefits. The guarantee of eternal life and its benefits. Verse 27. Peter, he's he's wrestling with this, what he just saw, because the disciples were there as this, this whole interaction was taking place. And he asked a very understandable question. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Peter looks around and says, you know what? The rich, they have their riches. They have their ease. They have their comfort. They live high in the hog. They don't have to struggle, it seems. But, but we've left everything for you, Jesus. What then will we have? Well, Jesus, he goes on to describe the good news for them. What they will have after his, he returns the second time. When the new heavens and new earth come. Verse 29, this is supposed to be a great encouragement. It says, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers or sisters, or father or mother, or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And so Jesus, what he does is he first answers the disciples. He answers Peter and says, Yeah, there are going to be rewards for you because of your sacrifice. But then he also broadens it out to all people. Anyone who has left things for me, Yes, you will be blessed. And he's basically saying that the, the heavenly reward is so much better than any earthly thing that we could have here. Yes, you could go after the money and the cars and the houses and the whatever you want, the clothes here. You could do that. But how much better is it going to be in heaven? Notice, just as a point of reference, that it doesn't, it doesn't say that these things are to be expected now. We may have wealth. We may have times in which we're doing better than others. But it's not a guarantee. It's not a promise that we're going to have these things here, these material possessions. It's talking about a future reality in heaven. And that's real important for us to realize. And on top of all that, what do they get? Eternal life. That is what they get on top of all that. So now we have come full circle back to the story with a rich young ruler. The rich young ruler asked, how do I get eternal life? He wanted it, but he didn't get it. And now the disciples who have left everything and followed Jesus, trusted in him, 
They are the ones who received it. They get what is better than all earthly possessions. They get eternal life. See, the disciples and those like us who follow God, who have trusted in him for our salvation, we will not be those who gain the whole world and yet lose their soul. Presumably like what happened to the rich young ruler. We don't know the end of the story, but presumably we're left off thinking that he did that. He gained the whole world, but he lost his soul. Instead, you and I and the disciples will be those who lose the whole world and gain the salvation of our souls. We gain the salvation of our souls. And Jesus ends with a saying that he repeats time and time again in the Gospels. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. One commentator talks about this um, phrase, and he says this, Those like the wealthy young man who seek primacy in this life will suffer the greatest loss eternally. And those like the disciples who surrendered everything will have the greatest reward. It's kind of a paradox in a lot of ways, right? doesn't make sense maybe to the, to the world around us, maybe even to us sometimes. But I think this, that last point, it's very helpful and very encouraging for the, those of us here today who would say we are Christians, who say we are following Jesus and we have left things. We have given up many things to follow him and to be faithful to him. Maybe take a minute and think about what are the things that you've left or sacrificed to follow Christ? What are the things maybe that God is calling you today to leave and to sacrifice to follow him and to be faithful to him? I thought about a list of some of these things. Maybe it'll it'll help jog your memory. Maybe it was the, the easier or more appealing job that you wanted to have. Maybe it was the money that you wanted to make or the vacations that you wanted to go on. Maybe it was the city that you wanted to live in or the suburbs that you wanted to live in. The house or the neighborhood that you wanted your kids to grow up in. Maybe it's the roots that you wanted your family to place in a certain place. But God told you to go elsewhere. Maybe it's the time and the energy and the money you want for your hobbies. But you couldn't because you were following God doing something else. Maybe it was the family, the extended family that you wanted your kids to grow up around. Maybe it was for for people in the ministry. Maybe it was the ministry position or the opportunities that you really wanted, but you had to give up. Maybe it was the reputation uh, or your popularity with your friends or your peers. See, we've all, all left things for Jesus if we're Christians. And these things are not necessarily bad things. A lot of these things are good things and good desires. But when we have to choose to either follow them to seek them, or to follow God, the choice is clear. We have to follow Christ. We have to give up these things to follow Christ. And maybe sometimes we're only called to give up these things for a season. Maybe it's only a season of our lives in which we're called to give up the things that we wanted, but couldn't because God called us elsewhere. But you know what? In the midst of that sacrifice, I think what God is doing is he's telling us that maybe it's not going to get better for you in this life. Maybe it's not going to get better for me in this life. But look what Jesus promises. Jesus promises, yes, eternal life. And to what is to come. Thinking about those heavenly rewards. And we have to remind ourselves that it's worth it. It's worth the fight. It's worth the struggle of day in, day out. You know why? Primarily why? Because Jesus is worth it. 
What's the greatest reward that you and I can ever receive? It's not just eternal life. It's eternal life with God. It is God himself. He is the best gift, the best reward. And we get him, even though we've lost the whole world. So as you and I think back on leaving things for Christ, or we look forward to doing that, maybe now in the present or in the future, it's not wrong for us to be encouraged by what God promises in the future. Yes, as as some of the commentators pointed out, it's important for us to examine our heart and to have the right motivations for seeking those heavenly rewards. But it's not wrong for us to be motivated by those things. To to turn down maybe that that job promotion or something that, that if God's calling you somewhere else. Or maybe to turn down that desire to live in a nice neighborhood because I want to go and live in a neighborhood that's not so safe so that I can help others. Whatever it would be. See, we have seen here in this story with a rich young ruler, a man who started out wanting eternal life. He wanted eternal life. And he thought that he could attain it by means of being good. Or at least good enough. And he realized by the end of his conversation with Jesus that, you know what? He didn't keep all God's laws perfectly. He didn't meet the standard. He didn't meet the standard of perfection. And Jesus used something that was so close to his heart, that was so important to this man's life, so crucial to all the the ways that he made decisions and everything else to gain that money. He used that to show him, you've lost, you've lost You want this more than you want me. You want this more than you want eternal life. And you've lost your soul. Remember, we we talked about in the beginning of the service as we were preparing for worship that that the, the scripture says that we cannot serve both God and money. There is a clear choice to be made. We can't serve both. We can't have two masters like that verse says. There is only one master in our lives, and that is God. And we are called to follow him, even when it's hard, even when it calls for sacrifice, even when it calls for leaving things, even good things, for the sake of following him. We know that he's taking care of us. We know that he loves us. We know that he is the greatest reward that we could ever have. And as I think about Mother's Day, for example, Those that have left so much to follow God's commands, mothers and wives, I continually am convicted by that. How our mothers and our wives leave so much for the sake of their children, for the sake of their family. They give up certain things that they want, that are good things, for the sake of loving their children and having them grow up in a Christian home, having them grow up in a home where the Bible can be taught to them, Go to a good church or go to a good school and get education. A mom's life is full of sacrifices. And yet, there is a great and sweet encouragement and promise for moms on Mother's Day trying to follow God. That they will get eternal life if they trust in Jesus. And if they follow Jesus. If they love him more than anything else. If they trust in his perfection, his righteousness, not their own and even the future rewards in heaven. So as we come to a close, um, I think it's a great passage for us to think about. Moms or not, everyone here 
It's a great passage for us to think about. It's one that really turns us back to our own hearts and our own desires and say, God, what's going on inside of my heart? What are the things that, that grabs the strings of my heart and pulls me away from you? Maybe they're the things that I need to repent of and to ask God to help me to follow him afresh and anew. Or maybe it's just coming back to realize, man, I've left these things for something so much better. I've left it for Jesus. And so as we we close, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, thank God for this powerful passage in Matthew 19. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Peter Eck, Assistant Pastor at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.